Welcome to the In the News Show. I am Judy Desagatis, and I'm here with my co-host, Father Bill Weary. How are you today, Father Bill? Very good. Hello, everybody. I want to always thank Joe Nebestinsky, our technician, for helping us, and David Hillowitz for providing our theme music. I want to thank everyone out there, too, for contributing to, for those who contributed to our pledge drive. Know that that continues to go on, so feel free to donate at any time, and you can do that at the website, 720whyf.com, or you can give us a call here at the station at 717-525-8110, and it's very easy to do on the website. You can just click where it says to donate, and I'll take you through the process. So even though the official drive is, is finished for the fall, we accept donations all the time, especially um, monthly donations in, in small amounts, and, and that helps us with our pain, and it's not too painful for you because it's just a little bit each month. So please keep us in mind for that so that we can keep this great Catholic programming going uh, for you here in the Diocese of Harrisburg. And then the next thing I wanted to mention is uh, a few of us went to the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Dinner, which was held on Friday night uh, at the Hershey Lodge. And we had a wonderful speaker, a world-renowned neurosurgeon, Dr. Ben Carson. Um, He is uh, not only known for his neurosurgery, but also for, he was the 17th Secretary of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, and he's also the founder of the American Cornerstone Institute. And this was the first PA Pro-Life Federation dinner uh, post uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, so um, everybody was very, very excited. And there were 1,200 people there. I'm sure the draw was also uh, not only post-Roe, but also the speakers, including Dr. Ben Carson, um, and he had some wonderful things to say. He has a very interesting background and um, a wonderful mother who was very supportive of him in, in reading and getting, uh, getting him interested in books and helping him uh, bring up his grades so that he could become the world-renowned neurosurgeon that he is. And I think the main thing that he talked about was, um, and this is a quote from him, he said, as a surgeon, I have operated on infants pre-birth. I can assure you that they are very much alive. Wow. And I think, you know, a lot of surgeons, you know, they, they work on, on adults and work on children, but this is someone that's working on a person and then another person in utero. And, you know, he was he, he's very not politically correct, so he definitely talked about He says, I don't understand how people can say that that's not a life. He says, right. I've seen it. I've seen, I've operated on these infants pre-birth and they have fingers and they have toes and they're moving and their heart is beating. He said, I can't understand how a doctor can perform an abortion. That's right. And a personal testimony, not my own, but that of my parish secretary, uh, her her son was a patient of Dr. Carson's many years. Yes. And uh, he uh, had all kinds of neurological issues uh, here in Lewistown, they were making the trip to Baltimore frequently, mm-hmm. first couple of years of his life. Uh, he's he's about he's in his he's about forty now, or about thir- maybe in his thirties. And uh, she just says he was my secretary. He was wonderful, Doctor Ben Carson. He was so uh, solicitous and attentive to them. Did wonderful work with Logan. The son, he was very soft-spoken, Dr. Carson, very soft-spoken, mm-hmm. humble, and he would pray out loud with them before yes. surgery. Yes. What a, what a wonderful thing. So Wow. A, First-hand account. That's wonderful. It's great. It that's is. great I to hear I want to get a that. picture of them together because she's not Catholic, but she came 
Uh, and of course, it's not uh, Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is not, in fact, a Catholic organization. It's, it's just a general organization. Um, nevertheless, I was impressed that she came and uh, my uh, she's my business manager, um, not my secretary. But the secretary came as well, who's also not Catholic. So we, and I wanted to get a picture of Jody and Dr. Carson together. But I couldn't manage it. He had gotten out of Dodge. Really right, quick. right. <laughs> it's a 4 a.m. flight uh, to uh, catch. So, yeah. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear to hear that news. Um, you know, he did speak very eloquently, very softly, um, but very strong in his resolve uh, and in his beliefs. And and I'm going to mention another quote that was also from him in the the booklet here. And it says, "We've distorted things to the point where people believe that anyone who opposes mothers killing their babies is waging a war on women. How can we be so foolish to believe such a thing?" One must be able to recognize the depravity to which we have sunken as a society when valuing a baby's life is frowned upon, unquote. So, you know, something to leave uh, when, as we think about um, what I wanted to bring up on my next topic real quick is that it's coming up on the midterm elections. And I know everybody's yes. saturated with all the information, but especially with rego- regard to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, you know, part of that was all of the uh, now rulings will go through the states. So this is so important that we vote in legislators that are going to be pro-life because that is going to affect what's going to be happening in the various states. Whether your state is, is already still performing abortions or whether they're now prohibited, this is going to be the time to cast your vote. And as Catholics, you know, we are encouraged and we are, you know, very much encouraged to vote pro-life. So um, we do have some pro-life legislators here in Pennsylvania that are up uh, for election and re-election. So we need to remember that when we go to the polls uh, in a couple of weeks on Tuesday, November 8th, uh, to remember um, to vote according to our beliefs to make sure, because now with that vote going to the states, it's going to be ma- matter more than ever. So we want to encourage everybody to vote. Back to the pro-life dinner, just very briefly, and just our kudos to Michael Chikichopal, who is retiring yes. after many, many years heading up the organization, Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. And we our prayers for Christopher Bouchard, uh, who is going to be taking over. He is, he's a lawyer and um, mm-hmm. he's um, well qualified for for this position. So uh, God bless both of them. Yes, absolutely. And I thought it was interesting, too, since you went back to the pro-life dinner, just a couple of other other comments that, yes, the pro-life dinner does have a lot of Catholics and other Christians that attend. But there was a rabbi who did the invocation and there was also an award given uh, to a Jewish woman who has done work with uh, the Jewish pro-life movement. So pro-life is not just, you know, a Christian Catholic thing. It's it's a human thing. And also, I was very encouraged by the Penn State University pro-life student leader that yes. also spoke yes. as well. And she was she was amazing. She was just wonderful and so heartening to see the young like that college-age students who are in both feet in the cause. Yes, yes. And at a public university where I'm sure she's getting a lot of pushback for her beliefs. Oh, she must be. And she was a very eloquent speaker. She got up there and I didn't see her refer to notes at all. She was very, nope. very good. And it's nice to see young people at that. This is the post-row generation, they said That's at the right. end. And so if we know that these people are carrying on the legacy even after us, this is, this is a good thing. Um, I want to mention one other thing. Um, EWTN, this is something that might be of interest to our listeners, and I think it's also very important and encouraged. 
as they will be airing a five-night series beginning tonight, um, the, tw- the 24th of October is when we're, rec- we're recording this, at 5.30, entitled Transgender Movement, What Catholics Need to Know. And if you miss it or you can't DVR it, it will also be on EWTN On Demand. Mary Rice Hassan is the host. She is a co-founder and director of the Person and Identity Project and leads the Catholic Women's Forum, a network of Catholic professional women and scholars amplifying the voices of women in support of Catholic teachings. And there's going to be a different topic every night, so it'll be a five-night series. And I think this is good. It's going to be on, you know, around dinner time. And, uh-huh. I, and I think it's good, something good to watch. Or again, you know, if you can watch it at a later date, something that um, it will be good for education and to know where we stand on these issues. And even just in terms of educating what people may not may or may not know about the, this movement. And it's right five nights faces. in a row. Five nights in a row. Yes. Beginning tonight. Okay. Beginning, beginning tonight. tonight. So, um, yeah, we already talked about um, the, the elections. I want to mention something that I think is very uh, good news. Um, we are in the three-year Eucharistic revival. We talked about that on our show back in the summer um, for the, the three-year Eucharistic revival um, that the bishops have declared. And this was nice to see. This is a LifeSite News article. A Eucharistic procession through Manhattan brings a spirit of peace and reverence to New Yorkers. And um, this was held on the 11th of October. And it says in the article, there were no riots, no protests, no profanity, just peace, even in the heart of New York City. Would you ever believe silence would be possible in this city? There was on Tuesday. And and it was really um, it showed it showed some pictures on there. um, But this is in support of the National Eucharistic Revival. And they were also the the preset was in charge of it. Father Landry, he was saying in its homily um, that this is to stimulate greater Eucharistic knowledge, faith, amazement, love, life and mission among Catholics. And it was also said in the article that as they approached different corners in New York City, that people were very reverent, you know, whether they were Catholic or not. But there was a peace and a calm, which many of our cities and especially New York City has been, you know, it's just been a revolt a lot of revolts and a lot of noise lately so this was nice that this could take place and it was it's almost like jesus walking through the streets just calming the storm of the sea we're doing one tomorrow night we're in the middle of our 40 hours right now oh wonderful and we have just started street processions this will be our second one Good. we did one for the feast of the sacred heart in in june and um we're going through the streets of lewistown with the Blessed Sacrament tonight. So God's blessings on that endeavor, and we're looking forward to it uh, tomorrow night. Great, great. That that is wonderful. I always always like forty hours, but just going out into the streets and meeting the people where they're where they're at. It's just the presence out there with the canopy and bringing bringing Jesus out to the masses. It's wonderful. Um, and along that same line, there is uh, countering the Eucharist. I just want to mention real quick that a lot of colleges around the country are responding to this Eucharistic revival. Um, this was a rather lo- long article from National Catholic Register, but I just want to make mention of it that a lot of colleges are having uh, Eucharistic processions. They're having more adoration time. Um, and so, again, this speaks a lot to our young people that are participating on the college campuses to get uh you know, more in close with Jesus, establish a personal relationship with him, uh, daily schedule for mass and confession, holy hours and dormitory chapels, um, and that and that kind of thing. So this is this is good and um, 
in order to make Eucharistic devotion as accessible as possible. So we're, we're very excited about that. Those are two very positive things. And also- Let's remember that uh, St. John Newman is the one who brought 40 hours devotion from That's Europe right. That's right. to the United States. And he was advised not to do it because there had been anti-Catholic riots. He died in uh, 1860. And there had been anti-Catholic riots not many years previously in Philadelphia, where he was bishop. Yeah. But he pressed ahead with it. And the same sort of thing. Uh, there, there was no, uh, his outdoor processions were not um, impeded or interfered with, and there was no violence. So um, the, you know, the naysayers uh, realized that this was the will of God, and the rest is history. That's right. And with that, we'll go to break. We'll be right back. Please stay with us. You're listening to Holy Family Radio, 720 WHYF. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the second half of the In the News show. Let's m- move on. And we were talking before we went to break about the, the Eucharistic revival. And I thought this was an interesting article. And, Father, you had mentioned that you had read something about a ge- geneticist author writes that there may be a God gene in us. Otherwise, how to explain consistent religiosity in the human race from the beginning. Well, so tell asks, us about uh, it. In, in this book, uh, why is spirituality such a powerful and universal force? Why do so many people believe in things they cannot see, smell, taste, hear, or touch? And this goes back to the beginnings of the human race. Um, so he speculates um, the, um, the God gene. There was a book called The Human Gene, uh, was proposed by a geneticist, geneticist uh, Dean Hamine in, the, uh, in his two, 2004 book um, that was uh, entitled The God Gene, How Faith is Hardwired into Our Genes. And he claims that the inclination towards faith is not by accident, but instead uh, the human genes act by influencing the brain's capacity for various types of forms of consciousness, hmm. which becomes the basis or spiritual experience. And so I just thought that was very, very interesting. There is perhaps something embedded in us of the God, the God places within us, orientating ourselves toward him. It would make sense because there, there has been just a consistency uh, throughout human history for worship and spirituality. Uh, Atheists and certain movements like communism uh, atheistic communism say, you know, try to move us beyond that, 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 uh, that we are more to be more advanced and leave God behind. God is dead. But uh, this uh, book would seem to indicate otherwise. So uh, that's something for us to uh, ponder that uh, that is compatible with our nature, the idea of worship of God. Yes, that, that makes perfect sense. And I just I just got this thought. I don't know if it was a Holy Spirit thing that I'll just share with you. And I thought, I bet you God places that gene in us, you know, in the creation of us. When those chromosomes yes. and everything come together and, exactly. you know, he forms our hearts and, and our hands and fingers and everything. It's, I, I bet that God gene is put right in our hearts. So um, that is very interesting. Thank you for sharing with us. Father, because I, I never heard that, but it, it certainly makes sense. It certainly makes and, sense. And that would, if that's true, you know, it would be impacted, ne- impacted negatively by original sin, of course. Right. Uh, but then, with God's grace, uh, that would be a healing of of those capacities within us, right? While orientating us in a, a healthy way toward God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wanted to share, you know, moving on to the next article um, in USA Today, expressing concern. On low U.S. birth rates, 
taxes will be 1.7% by the end of the century. And a survey asking why participants don't want children. Um, do you want to share with us the results of that survey, Father? Sure. This is two uh, researchers and uh, who wrote this uh, article, as you said, in the USA Today. And the majority they did a survey of why people, uh, uh, the childless uh, couples uh, child, or single people who don't want, uh, are not going to have children, uh, what the reason was. And the, f- the majority, 54% of Americans who don't want to have children, uh, in said that um, they put down their decision was, the reason was maintaining personal independence. Other things that were not as a big a concern, like safety concerns, personal financial situation, work-life balance, or the or, or you know the environmental environmental concerns were there, but the big one was loss of personal independence. And the authors were not. This is not faith-based or anything, but they said, "What what can we? How can we counteract this? Um, and how can we you know get the birth rate back up? Because you know the obvious." problem is going to be we might not have enough people to run society right in, in the future right and they suggested by emphasizing a good place to start is to focus on one of the most i'm quoting here one of the most fundamental psychological needs the needs for existential meaning and they will go on to say humans are highly motivated by uh their their lives as meaningful to perceive their lives as meaningful and the children do that so maybe if we promote that more in, in society, that more people will be having a children. I have, a, I have two nephews in their 30s, um, and, and they're both single. And I asked the one about, you know, what about marriage and, and family in the future? He said, this is, I, I just don't believe we should bring children into this evil world. That's what he said. Wow. Um, and, um, but here, it's personal, it's personal independence and um uh, that Americans concerned about not having children may affect their personal in- independence may not realize that meaning is so empowering and that family is a fundamental source of meaning, the authors write. Uh, surveys, for instance, find that when people are asked what makes their lives feel meaningful, the most common response is family. So we can talk that up among a childbearing people uh, of childbearing age, that that might uh, reverse the trend and, and bring thing, and bring it up a, a little bit. In addition, studies find that parents report higher levels of meaning uh, than adults without children, mm. and that they have a greater sense of meaning when they are taking care of their children than when they are engaged in other activities. So existential meaning, uh, the, the, the children impart that, the authors are saying. And I'm thinking of uh, Victor Frankl's famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, mm-hmm. Dr. Victor Frankl, who was the, uh, it's a classic book, and he was a Holocaust survivor, psychiatrist, and uh, survived the concentration camps. And he, he spoke about that. The ones that, that held on in the in the camps were those who had, a, had meaning in life. They were looking forward to carrying out you know, some meaningful uh, activity when they got when they got out. And those who did not have that are the ones who, who died off. And so uh, among the young to, to talk about uh, meaningful uh, endeavors and children really do give that. So I thought that was very interesting and it's certainly compatible with, you know, church church teaching and humane vitae, right. I believe. And um, so this is a further backup of what the church teaches about family, uh, you know, anti-contraception, certainly anti-abortion, and the glory and gift of children. 
Yeah, and there's so many couples out there that can have children. I mean, we talked about in this article about the choice not to have children, but there are ones that want to adopt, and, and they're looking for that meaning, too. So, um, and, and not only that, but to mention that's what is the person's legacy, you know, their children will have children and grandchildren. And, you know, as you said, the family and life will go on. So right. I think there's definitely something to children bringing meaning to life. And I think there's also the couples that can have children are searching for that, um, because they're missing it. Um, uh, on another note, cause we are all fa- fair and balanced here on Holy Family Radio. I, I, we have to mention the other side that, uh, in the news, for LifeSite News, we have Stacey Abrams suggests that more abortions would help families deal with soaring inflation. Now, know. I just don't quite get this. She's basically turning this into an economic thing that's saying that uh, with inflation and everyone's worried about the price for gas and how to pay for food, and that's all valid and it's true. She's saying having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. Basically saying bringing a child into the world is just going to add to that. And also mentioning, you know, from a feminist point of view of saying that women, if they're not having children or if they're having abortions because of the economy, that this is going to keep them in the workforce and keep everything moving. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Yes. Obviously, the church does teach you know, responsible um, life giving, right? Uh, uh, and and that they, we we can space births um, if there if there are re- good reasons uh, to do so. But that's lamentable. Where that again, the child is seen as an enemy, uh, as as an adversary, right? And uh, 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 similar to what we just spoke about a few minutes ago mm-hmm. when, on that survey, that it's uh, it is it, an attack on on the. Um, the parents, so to speak, the child as as an opponent. So, to, uh, but uh, the ch- a child is a gift. Uh, if there are economic reasons, to very serious ones, uh, that uh, natural family planning is to be employed, and it, it is very, very effective. Uh, but a generous response to life is also encouraged by the church, and I'm inspired by the uh, several large families of young co- uh, young couples we have mm-hmm. in my parish, Good. Uh, both parishes really. Of, of large five six children, um, and what a what a wonderful thing that is to see in church, of course, and uh, and to see their their worshiping presence there. But uh, yeah, Stacey Ad- Abrams' uh, stance is typical of plan of Planned Parenthood, right? Um, and uh, it's not in a sense not surprising, but lamentable. Yep, and, and once again mentioning that she is up, I think, for uh, re-election. And this is one way, you know, not obviously not in our state, but again, why our vote is so important and why it's so important to vote pro-life. So we don't have um, politicians that are enacting these these laws and and killing babies. She's basically saying if you kill your baby, then you're going to be, you know, help the economy. It's like it's it's ridiculous. So moving on to um, something else that's equally disturbing with regard to a Catholic medical school. That's Georgetown. They're disregarding church teaching and they're and they're teaching their medical students about puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for children. Um, we have about two minutes to, to discuss this issue. So, Father, what is your uh, take on, on when, why this is happening? Well, I hope the Catholic, Catholic Medical Association uh, gets, gets on them. And um, I have a doctor friend who's very prominent in that organization, a Geisinger, a Geisinger doctor mm-hmm. in Danville. And I'm gonna ask, I want to ask him about this that uh, the Catholic Medical Association should certainly challenge uh, that medical school. I might also mention 
that at Georgetown there were a number of students uh, that walked out of a Mike Pence speech, uh, which is a very, very sad thing. And, and there's a lot of walkouts being organized across the United States uh, by, by students. Uh, but this, uh, tra this um, tra pro-transgender tendency at um, Georgetown University is, is shocking. And we have to uphold our values in Catholic institutions and, and universities. And we have to make sure that what we teach and what we do, medical school, law schools, um, is, is certainly resonates with, the, resonates with our teaching and with the, with the truth that comes to us uh, from God through scripture and tradition. And um, you, you wonder what else they're doing, uh, you know, behind the scenes, you know, regarding abortion and contraception and, right. and, and that sort of thing. And there may be some, some sort of, if it's possible, some sort of doctrinal spiritual audit you know, of Georgetown. It's a Jesuit university, so it would not, you know, come under the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops directly. Um, so, but the Jesuits definitely, you know, should call the medical school to accountability on this. Right. It's, it's a hor as it says in the article, hor horrific violation of medical ethics and has definitely been, um, you know, uh, in condemned by Bishop Michael Burbridge of the Diocese of Arlington, Virginia, which is right across the river. My so. classmate, my seminary classmate. Oh, okay. All right. All Good right. guy. And he, he came out with a very strong statement against transgenderism uh, a couple years ago. A very good document. Okay. Well, that, fill, that fills our, our ticket for today. Father, would you give us a blessing, please? And may Almighty God bless all of you in the name of the Father Amen. and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you. Peace.